The second reading is from Psalm 145 on page 659 in the Pew Bibles. It's a psalm from David talking to God and talking to us. I will exalt you, my God, for King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made, all you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts. And the glorious splendour of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his promises and loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you gave them their food at the, at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord, that every creature praise his holy name for ever and ever. Amen. Thanks, uh, Murray. Just to uh, remind parents again, uh, the creche is, um, is operating, so if you want to uh, send your kids to the creche, please uh, feel free to do that. Uh, next Sunday, we have our kids' church, but to all the boys and girls here uh, this morning, good morning to you, boys and girls. It's great to see you as well today, all right? So it's... Uh, and you're going to sit through and listen to a, a talk this morning. How's that? Hey. Um, don't get that opportunity often, but it's great. So. Well, friends, we read God's word, and uh, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the family of God, dear. We thank you that you are a gracious and wonderful God. And so this morning we pray that your spirit will minister to our hearts as your people met in this place. That you would encourage our hearts and rejoice in you, God. And help us to get to know you better. And if there is anyone here who does not know Christ, that today 
will be the beginning of a new journey of faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, this morning, we're going to look at this topic, the God of all sufficiency. Uh, we live in a world of self-sufficiency, don't we? We think that we can do everything by our strength and by our own sufficiency. The world uh, is moving along, we would say, in its technological advances. We have uh, iPhones, we have uh, other phones. I'm not promoting any uh, Apple products here, but uh, all, all the smartphones that we have, we, can, we have technology at, the, at our fingertips. Uh, the world is rapidly changing in many ways. And uh, perhaps we could say that we're becoming more and more self-sufficient. We have all the machines that are at our fingertips, don't we? We can make our coffees now in our own homes. We don't need to go to coffee shops anymore. Uh, We can do all the other stuff around the place because everything is uh, just at our fingertips. The world is at our fingertips. So uh, we could be saying that we're becoming more and more self-sufficient. And... uh, well, nothing wrong in being self-sufficient in taking care of yourselves and, and those around you, but the problem becomes when we trust in our own selves and in our own sufficiencies as we live in this world. And where does the God of creation fit in to the sufficiencies of this world and in humanity uh, in general? So we look at this topic, the God of all sufficiency, and I hope that as we work our way through this psalm, um, uh, this morning, uh, that we will see who our great God is. Well, in the past, these past few Sundays, uh, we have focused on the person of God and his attributes. We saw how God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. I referred to this beautiful carving here we have on this lovely pulpit. I think it's a magnificent pulpit. It's a great work here. Um, it's a great privilege, actually, to stand and to preach God's word from this place that's uh, It's a great honor, and it's a reminder to us of uh, the fact that the God who we worship is the I am God, as revealed to Moses, I am who I am. He is the eternal one, he is the Lord, Yahweh. And then we looked at Isaiah chapter 6 and focused on the holiness of God, that God is holy. Isaiah, in that vision, uh, through the cherubim, cried out, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when Isaiah responded to that, he cried out, Woe unto me. Uh, He was the most holiest man at the time. But Isaiah didn't proclaim his sufficiency, did he? He didn't say, Oh God, how great I am. Look at how good I am. Look, I am the sinless guy here. No, he cried out, Woe unto me, for I am a man. Of unclean lips. You see, when we stand in the presence of the Holy God, we see our own sinfulness of our hearts, mind, word, deed, and thoughts, don't we? And then we saw last week how uh, Moses in, in Exodus 34, Moses wanted to see God, and how God passed by Moses and spoke of his attributes. He renewed his covenant with his people, and again gave Moses the ten. Commandments. And today we continue to look further into the attributes of God as we work our way through Psalm 145 as we wrap up this mini-series on the attributes of God and I hope it has been helpful. Psalm 145, friends, is the last, last of David's Psalms. 
David is the author of most of the Psalms. There are, as we know, 150 Psalms. 75 of those are attributed to David. And Psalm 145 is the last of what we call an acrostic psalm. That is, an acrostic psalm is a psalm where each verse of, or, or group of verses begins with one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Each sentence in Psalm 145 has a letter of the Hebrew alphabet attached to it. The psalm has one letter of the Hebrew alphabet short, hence it has 21 verses instead of 22 for all the Hebrew scholars here uh, this, this morning. <laughs> right? There are some here, by the way, you know that. It is a song of praise to David. And while the Psalms are one of praise, this one stands out. And one writer says, David saved his best for the last. And so the attributes and the acts of God form the overall theme of Psalm 145. So keep, please keep your Bibles open to this Psalm. This Psalm is an exuberance, exuberance of praise to God. Uh, Doctor, the late Dr. Montgomery Boyce, uh, speaking of this psalm, says this, uh, Psalm 145 is indeed a monumental praise psalm, a fit summary of all David had learned about God during a long lifetime of following hard after the Almighty. It is also an appropriate transition to the final Alleluia psalms that close the Psalter. You see, this is what we have here this, this morning a fitting summary of all that David had learned about God during a long lifetime. How much have we learned about God in our lifetime here? Think about that. With every passing year, we, I trust, are learning more about our God. Right? And so, uh, the, the, David uh, comes and, 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 he, and he gives this fitting summary, as it were, in this psalm. And so this morning we're going to look at five uh, points here today. We're going to look at this psalm under the five divisions here. His greatness, his goodness, his governance, his generosity, his grace. Actually, it should be 17 to 20. I'll touch on 21 later. Okay, so his, his greatness, his goodness, his governance, his generosity, and his grace. So what I say about his greatness? The psalmist says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I remember uh, singing one of those choruses, great is the Lord, you know that one? And greatly to be praised in the city of our God. You never know, there will be new talents coming out, friends, in 2016. I might be leading the singing here, I say. <laughs> no, that won't happen, sir. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. One generation shall commend your works to another. Of the glorious power of your majesty, of your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the mighty, of, of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. They shall sing. You see, friends, this is, this is what is taking place here. You see, David has been, as I mentioned, on a long journey in his life. It was a journey which had both its up and down moments. Just as it is for all of us. No matter who we are in the spectrum of life, we will have those moments. When we are up, there will be the moments when we are down in the valley. Right? And David has been through that. And few biblical figures are as important in the history of redemption in God's plan as David, the son of Jesse, was. 1 Samuel 16. 
Let me give you a very brief, brief uh, background uh, to, to David. You see, the prophet Samuel went to God and said that God's people Israel wanted a king. They wanted a king because other nations had their kings. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel and, and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king. And so up until that point, Israel's king was Yahweh. And they had no earthly king. And so God responded to their request by giving them a king. And the king of Israel was, was always to be accountable to God. Working under a theocracy. Working under the leadership of God himself. And so Saul was anointed as Israel's king. But King Saul, after a while, did his own thing as we know. And God rejected him as a king. Incredible lesson, don't we? We learn from that, don't we? You see, Saul anointed as king. Did his own thing. Rejected the way God had appointed him. Turn away from this God, and God turns away from him. And so after Saul proved to be a great failure, we read in 1 Samuel 15, the Lord came to the prophet Judge Samuel and instructed him to anoint a new king who would replace Saul. And so in 2 Samuel 5, we read of David being anointed as king over the united Israel at the age of 30, and he was king for 40 years. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 5, 4 and 5. He reigned 40 years. At Ebron he reigned over Judah 7 years and 6 months. And at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. You see, David, as the king of Israel, ushered the golden age of Israel. He extended the borders of Israel. And this little land, Israel, this monarchy of a land, became a leading world power under the leadership of King David. And the one who stood behind David is the great one, God himself. And so David became the greatest king of ancient Israel. We know that. He was a talented musician. He played the harp. Remember when, when Saul was given to fits of rage? Young David would come and play the harp. Don't play it that way, do you? The harp this way. Anyway, plays the harp. Play the harp to calm Saul's spirit. It's a beautiful instrument, by the way, the harp. He was a man of valor. He was a man of war. He was a man of prudent speech. He had a sound mind. Um, and most important of all was that the Lord was with David. You see, you can have everything else, can't we, in life. You can have our musical talents, all our gifts, men of valor, women of greatness, whatever. But the secret is to have the Lord with you. Correct? See, the Lord was with, with him. <laughs> That's the most important things, brothers and uh, brothers, sisters in Christ. The most important thing is to have the Lord with us. To have the Lord with you. To have the Lord who stands beside you and, and leads you and guides you and blesses you and prospers the labors of your hands. The God who is the Elohim God, the Yahweh God with his people. You can have everything else. 
and not have the Lord with you. And what an empty life there is. When we start focusing on the sufficiency of ourselves and often think about it, often think about it. Where are we? You know, we are here now and gone perhaps even today. <laughs> we are frail, fragile human beings. But we know when we trust our Lord and we, we honor and we go and we cry to Him, it is a more, it's a mighty blessing to have the Lord with us. And so David, the Lord was with him. And David, yet knowing all of these things, the mighty man as he was, was not perfect. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and paid a heavy price for his sin against God. First, at the personal level, I'm working my way through the book of Proverbs as my personal devotions. I'm reading a chapter every day. Hopefully I'll get wise by the end of 2016. <laughs> Wiser by the end of 16. So, but the point is this. Proverbs, you know, I was going through Proverbs chapter 6, chapter 7, about adultery and the sin of the adulteress and the sluggard, the ant. You learn so much. You see, David had everything going. But he fell when he saw a beautiful woman having a bath. And you know the story. And his life was never the same again. He had a great relationship with God, but his life was affected. You see, he began the psalm, David began the psalm by praising God. And we'll come back to this later. And so, we see here, friends, the greatness of this God, don't we? Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. You see, David is giving thanks. We see the greatness of God for his wondrous works, for his glorious splendor, for his mighty works. You see, elsewhere in the Psalms, David speaks of God's greatness and glory revealed in his wondrous work of creation. Psalm 89, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. We sang our first hymn this morning. Remember that? Doesn't matter. (laughs) This earth belongs to God. We sang that, right? It's wealth, it's people, everything belongs to our God. Just come in here, right here. The, the heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. You see, God created it. And the book of Genesis claims that there is a creator God who exists independently of the universe. A claim that is foundational to Christianity. And God is also great in his wondrous acts, not only in creation, but also in preserving his people, Israel. He's great in his wonderful acts. Israel had witnessed God's mighty works, especially his deliverance from Egypt. As we noticed in the past few weeks, God had given them many victories over their enemies. He had protected them and therefore God is great. You see, boys and girls, remember that today. God is great. We are not, but he is. The greatness of our God. And so David says, God's greatness is unsearchable. We can't even begin to fathom his greatness. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty action, the glorious splendor. You see, as God's people throughout the generations look at history, look at God's acts, 
generations of God's people will see and marvel of the God of history. Do you look back? Do you look at the scriptures and see the God of history? What do we learn from that? We see a God who is great, who has sustained this world. The greatness of God is revealed right from the very beginning. And as we look back, we can take comfort and strength and grace and hope in the God who is great. That's our God. Right? The one we worship. And so we can trust Him as the great one. Then we see also His goodness, don't we? Uh, seven uh, uh, to, to ten, you see, one generation to other will speak of abundant goodness. Look at verse eight. The Lord is gracious, merciful. I've touched on this a couple of weeks ago. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. In verse nine of the psalm, the Lord is, what do you see there? <laughs> is good. Do you see that in your translation? Is good to all. See, all our works shall give you thanks. Why is the Lord good? Why? Think about it. Because he is gracious. Because he is merciful. He is slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. You see, there is more in this passage. The word good is the first word in the sentence, in the translation. Not as we see here in the text. Good is the Lord to all. That is to everyone. Good becomes the main focus there. Good is the Lord to everyone. He is good to all, even to his enemies, showing them common grace. His goodness covers all creation. And every created being, when God created the world, He looked at His work and said that it was very good. God saw that He had made, but all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. You see, our God has created a good world for us to live in. Don't as it is. And as we see his good work in the great expanse of the universe and the intricacy of the design of creation as his creator. And then we read this in James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You see, every good and perfect gift is from Calm down from the Father of the heavenly lights. What a thing, friends. Think about it. All the gifts that God has given you. You name them. <laughs> what has He given you? Health, strength, life, gifts, and talents, and family, and friends, and relationships, and food, and breath of life. He has in Australia, provided for us abundantly. We live in a country that is abundantly blessed. We can go home to our, put our yeses on, our coolings on if it's a hot day. We have beds to sleep on. We have food on our tables. We open our fridges and our freezers are packed up perhaps. Find room to put food in the freezer perhaps. We live in a country of abundance, don't we? I often think about people who are suffering, you see. Every good and perfect gift, all the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given you, all the talents that He has given you, use it, friends. <laughs> don't keep it, don't keep those gifts for yourself, but keep on using them 
for the glory of God. And so every good, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. And in his goodness, he bestows gifts. However, when we speak of the goodness of God, it raises numerous questions, does it not? If God is good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is good, then why am I going through a difficult situation in my life? If God is good, then why? Why has he taken away my precious child? If God is good, then why has my loved one been struck down with cancer? A terminal illness. If God is good, then why am I going through this particular trial in my life? Tough questions. They are real life questions. We could crystallize these questions into one major question, which is, if you're a young person at school and you're struggling at school, your friends are giving you a tough time perhaps, you're struggling with your own identity and you ask yourself, if God is good, why is he not being good to me? How can a good, it can be crystallized to this, I think, how can a good, all-powerful, all-wise God allow so much suffering, pain, tragedy and evil in this world and be called good. That's the question. I don't want to pretend to have the answer to this, uh, to, to this question because I don't. However, I'm attempting to answer it. I found it personally very helpful to look at the goodness of God in the full spectrum of his revelation in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I think when we can hopefully see that we live in a good world created by God, we also see that we live in a fallen world. A world that is affected by sin. And so you have the goodness of God on the one hand in creation. You have the fall of mankind on the other hand. And so these two are opposing factors. And we see this world in chaos. In its brokenness. We see violence. There are wars. Heartaches. Pain. Suffering. Broken relationships. Sickness. Death. Many other issues. But we also experience good things from God as well. And God is actively engaged in this world. He is good to all mankind. And mankind is without excuse. Romans chapter 1. And as we trust in this God, we are able to experience His goodness personally. Because He cares for us. He loves us. He understands us. He gives us peace. He gives us His joy. He gave us His Son, Jesus. The very expression of goodness. And so all your works will give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. The saints are to bless God's people. That's you and I. And see his governance. Verses 11 to 13. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. You see, this past week, have a look at the, those verses. This past week, it's a beautiful picture there, isn't it? We had a lovely place to go on holidays, right? Anyway, I'm not promoting this place. It's in, it's in Davos, in, in Switzerland. If you've been to Switzerland, you know what a beautiful place, beautiful country it is. Anyway, this past week, the World Economic Forum annual meeting was held in Davos, Switzerland. And it was a week, uh, it's, it is a week actually, in fact, where CEOs of major companies around the world and some world leaders have met. And we must pray for our world and for a healthy and vibrant business sector to flourish and to maintain economic stability in our world. But we do know that powerful as business leaders are and world leaders are, yet our world is susceptible to weakness and failure. For example, the world faces economic challenges with the possible slowing down of international markets. 
the Dow Jones and the FTSE, for example, in this past week, took a hit. Some say that the economic challenges could be similar to 2008 financial crisis. I read this uh, in, in, in the Guardian newspaper. The fears grow of a repeat of 2008 financial crash as investors run for cover. We face the, uh, the, the, the threat of terrorism. Christians are being persecuted in some places uh, with attempts to even eradicate it from some countries. Uh, Fox News had an opinion uh, piece on it. Uh, 20th January it states this. Less than 300,000 Christians remain in Iraq. Down from 1.4 million in 2003. Think about that. When Iraq's Christian community was one of the one of only four robust Christian communities remaining in the Middle East. The great portion of Iraq's remnant Christians are now in Kurdistan, many displaced from Nineveh and rapidly losing all hope and desire of ever returning home. And so the point, friends, this morning is, throughout the centuries we have been, there have been attempts to destroy the church and the Christian witness. But we can be assured, as we see in this psalm, that there is one king who is the everlasting one. There is one kingdom that is the everlasting one, whose king is eternal and who is governing this world and its affairs. We take comfort from that, don't we? It may seem to the world that God's kingdom is weak and is coming under attack, but it is not. The subjects of this kingdom are those who trust in God, have a relationship with the God of the universe, just like David did. And if you are a Christian here this morning, then you belong to the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It will never pass away. It's an everlasting one. A kingdom that will one day be consummated when King Jesus will return, when all God's people will live in the new heavens and new earth. What a day. This is our hope. Move on. We move, keep moving on to his generosity here. What do we see, friends? Verses 14, 15, 16. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. What a generous God is. He upholds his people. He raises those who are bowed down. That is, those who trust and come to him. His greatest generosity is seen in the sending of his son Jesus into this world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's being generous. You see, uh, Russell prayed for us this morning, for Rose and myself. Uh, we, we celebrated our 28th our wedding anniversary yesterday. And uh, we had a great day. We enjoyed our, the tennis and everything. And uh, that was all good. But the point is, I said to Rose yesterday... God has treated us better than we deserve. God has treated us better than we deserve. Because he is a generous God. A generous and a gracious God. You see, Paul says in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God, my God, will supply every need of yours, according to his riches in glory, in Christ Jesus. Do you trust this God? That he will supply. You see he's a generous God. He keeps on giving. He's the sending God. 
He gave from the very beginning of Genesis chapter 3, when man fell to sin, he said, I'm giving you the Redeemer. And he kept on working his plan, as we will see in a moment, and David is part of that plan. And from David, in the line of David, out of God's generosity, out of his goodness, out of his greatness, he is going to send one bigger than David. Because he is great, he is gracious, he is generous, he is good. He is righteous, he is kind, he is near to all who call on him. He fulfills the desires of all who fear him. Dr. Asis Prowl uh, makes a reference to, to Martin Luther on the subject of fear, of the fear of God. Uh, and Martin Luther, uh, uh, this is what he says about them, made an important distinction concerning the fear of God. Uh, Martin Luther. He distinguished between servile fear and filial fear. He described servile fear as that kind of fear a prisoner has for his torturer. Filial fear is the fear of a son who loves his father and does not want to offend him or let him down. It is a fear born of respect. You see, when the Bible calls us to fear God, it is issuing a call to a fear born of reverence, of awe and adoration. It is a respect of the highest magnitude. That's fear. See, David says that God fulfills the desires of those who fear him. I'm sure most of us have lots of desires. I think about parents, your desires and aspirations for your child. We, as parents, no matter how old our children are, I'm talking now to parents here, whatever age group they may be, if you're like me, a parent, whether they're married or not, you always think about them, right? <laughs> you always, sometimes you worry about them, you still journey with them, Wherever they are, even even they are married, just as we do, we have a married daughter, we still journey with her every time. Dad, you go there, so wherever we come down, can we come over, can we have dinner, what's cooking, all that kind of stuff. Kids are great, aren't they? They all visit their parents, they want to know what's cooking. <laughs> How's that for a change, eh? No, it's, it's all good. The point is... We worry and we think about desires for our children. I always say that to our children. Don't worry. God will provide the desires of your heart as you trust Him. His desires are the best in your life. His plan is the best for you. We trust in this God. The God who is Jehovah Jireh God. The God who is the one who provides. The God who is the generous one. The God is the eternal one. The God is your sovereign one. The God is your powerful God. That we stand and say, Lord, here I am. Weak, frail, fragile human being. Take all the pride and the arrogance and all the nonsense that I think about myself. Just strip me down to bare bottom so that I will see you in all your splendor. This God will fulfill the desire. He knew, see David knew that life apart from God was empty. He is near to all who call on him. What a comfort, friends. Do you call on God in your time of need, in your time of sadness and desperation and things are going well? Uh, we can call on God. You know, the other day I was uh, coming home with Rose and uh, I had to call my uh, son to, to pick us up. And uh, my phone did not work. So we had to walk from the station to come home and 
in the providence of God, he called us and said, son, we are walking, my phone line has got cut off, can you come and pick us up? Of course, dad, I'll be there in a few minutes. And he was there. But the point is, I said to Rose, this is crazy. We had a long day out, we're coming back home, and the phone's not working. So we walked, it was a good walk. And I think, you know, that's the phone. But not so with God, is it? We can call on him anywhere, anytime. There's a direct line. Nothing cuts us off. We don't get cut off. So, this morning, we have seen, friends, his greatness, his goodness, his governance, his generosity. Seen also his grace, that this God is a God of grace. He is indeed full of grace. The God who has abundantly shown us his grace. The God who really loves us with an abundant grace. You see, David chose to raise high the name of God. The name for God here in the text is the Elohim God. David began to praise this God. My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name. Verse 2, give thanks for, to him for blessings that God has given uh, to us. As you look at this psalm, you see, as we conclude this morning, how can we respond to his greatness, his goodness, his governance, his generosity, and his grace? Three things, very quickly. First thing is application. We are to praise him. The psalm began with praise to God. It ends in praise. The word extol means to praise, to exalt, to elevate. David was king over Israel, but God was king over David. David was great, but God is the, great, is the greatest. David knew his God and he had his, that personal relationship with him. My God and King. Do you have that? Can you say, my God and King in your life? You say, I will extol and bless your name. He ends in these words, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his name. Give thanks to him for blessings received in the past and blessings hopeful for the future. So that's the first thing we could do. Second thing is, David was a great king, but there was a greater king. Listen to what the angel Gabriel said to, uh, to the Virgin Mary about Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. <laughs> The point is this, friends. This is God's son, Jesus, coming in the line of David as the eternal king, as God's son. We see him, God's greatness, God's goodness, God's governance, because Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. God's generosity, he gave in Jesus, Jesus gave his life for us. God's grace is full of grace. So the only way that you can know the God of all sufficiency is by repenting of your sin and trusting in his son Jesus. Have you this morning? And the third application is this. Let me refer to Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Friends, our God is the God of all sufficiency. A day will come when our Savior Jesus returns 
God will establish the new heaven and the new earth. And we will dwell with him. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is the great God. The God of all sufficiency. I pray this morning that you and I will continue to know this God in all his majesty. And to those of you, anyone here who does not know Christ today, that you will come and come to him. Remember this, the God of all sufficiency. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so powerful. We thank you that our God is the God of all sufficiency. We thank you this morning for who he is. We thank you for his greatness, his goodness, his governance, that is his king, that Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. For your generosity, O oh God, that you gave us your son, Jesus Christ, sacrificially. For your grace, that you embrace us with your love. Father, I pray this morning that you would empower us through your spirit to rejoice in you. To praise you, to extol your name. For our God is the all-sufficient one. In Jesus' name, Amen.